Hi, this is Johnny Eccles from Love, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. You have reached Pamela Daybar's pajama party. This is my 25th podcast. I'm so excited to be working with Pantheon Podcasts. They've been really great to me, and I've really enjoyed it all this time, and I'm going to keep doing it. So keep tuning in, please, and listen to all our other podcasters. We've got 70 or something now, all music related. So please tune in in your spare time, which we've had too much of lately, right? Things are loosening up. It's so thrilling. And today I have one of my very favorite people talking to me, Rhett Miller. Rhett Miller is lead singer of the old 97s, but his solo work is what's my favorite. What's most important to me is Rhett's solo work. And he's one of the prettiest human beings you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> um, we met a long time ago, at least probably 18 years, maybe. Uh, we used to hang out here in L.A., but um, he moved to upstate New York. So I'm very excited to talk to Rhett. He has a, a new solo record called The Messenger. And um, I'm excited. So please enjoy yourselves. The color of the earth as seen from outer space You got a gorgeous face, though it's a little odd Tell me that you like the songs that tell the story of Real love, the kind that's flawed Let's drink whiskey and do it all night long Hi, Rhett. Hey, oh Pamela. It's so good to see you. My I God, it's been freaking too freaking long, man. I've missed you. It's great to see your face. Yes. You know, when you were here in L.A., we saw each other, you know, pretty often at each other's houses and parties and things. Yeah. And what's what's weird for me now is that our son, Max, is 17. He'll be 18 this year. And that's how long it was that we moved to go moved away. It was 18 years ago. That's what I was just saying to Jerry. I thought it was 18 years, yep. 18 years. God. And of course, I've seen you intermittently during that time. But we used to, yeah. you know, hang out. I think yeah. you even thanked me on records, which is always, you know, people don't realize how important that is, I guess. To be thanked on a record is heaven on earth. Was it the believer or the instigator? Um, I think it was the believer. Yes. Yeah. I remember Michael and I, you know, my ex-husband going through the, each song with you and talking about it in my house. It was great. Uh, well, Miss Pamela, you are an inspiration. Oh, thank you. Oh, 
you know, when I do my rock tours, which I do, you know, up, up until this past year, I do them monthly or so every six weeks. And people always ask me, what do you, what do you listen to? What do you like? And I always tell them you, Rhett Miller, nice. Rhett Miller nice. and, and Todd Snyder. Those are, you know, those are the, you know, my, I'm a word whore, you know, I'm a lyric yeah. whore. So you write so many lyrics, you and Todd oh. both. And Todd has, a, Todd has a new record. Lyrics. Yeah, I know. We just talked about, I just interviewed him too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And you, and yours came out in 18, but boy, it's, I mean, that Thanks. is great. I bet you have another one in the works. Well, the old 97s put one out in August of last year, um, but oh, that's okay. tricky, right? Because during the pandemic, it's sort of hard to even let people know that you have a new record out. So, but it's yeah, really good. Yeah. It's called 12th. Okay. I will certainly listen to that, but I've been listening to the messenger and there's so many amazing songs on there. You Thanks. know, I mean, my God, Brett, how do you, do you, you write nonstop? <laughs> no, in fact, during the pandemic, it's been really hard. I've, I've been doing, you know, so many shows a week from my basement office to try and feed my kids and replace lost income. And I've also been trying to write more prose and essays and fiction. And the songs have really slowed to a trickle, although now I'm um, cranking it back up again. I'm going back into the studio, I think in June with the same guy that produced The Messenger, Sam Cohen, to make another good. solo record. Oh, good, good, good. I can't imag imagine you drying up for words, but I, <laughs> I have. I've had a really rough time being creative during this. I'm sorry, but you're still you're still teaching workshops, though. Yes, I'm still doing Zoom workshops. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I usually travel for them. I usually travel all over the country and the, you know, if you, the world if you count London and Toronto mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> for my workshops. But yeah, we've been doing it on Zoom, and it's it's working out. It's working out. And, you know, obviously not the same, but it, I think it's getting better. Everything's getting. Certainly in LA, we're we're opening up June fifteenth, a hundred percent. That's great. Did you, did you know that? That's wild, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, the level of vaccinated people is going to be pretty high by then. Yes. yes, it's wonderful. Well, I'm going to start talking about. I met you probably twenty years ago. No, I think was it was uh, after I had put out satellite rides. So it would have been 2000, 2000, 2000 2001, maybe. So 20 yeah, years. 20 years. 20 years. You know, I, I always have to, when I start, you know, I get a musical crush on people, obviously. That's just my nature, my groupy <laughs> nature, right? So, so back then, I was able to just meet people I was crazy about and interview them. So that's how we met. I believe we met at the Rainbow. Mm -hmm. um, and talked about your your record at that time. Yeah, that's yeah, so cool. No, I'm I'm right now in the middle of listening to an audio book um, of a book I think just called Laurel Canyon. But you were interviewed oh, yeah. for it, and um, and you're all over it, and it's great. Talks about I've, I just am still in the birds Chris Hillman section, so you're you're all uh, in that. I, <laughs> he was my first true love. Oh, and boy, what a bum he was. Oh you no. Know, days, oh no, he was a bum. And uh <laughs> you know, we eventually worked it all out, but back then, you know, I used to think this the silent type. I used to think they were the deep, 
deep people, for they were silent and quiet. That's not always the case. No. But, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> of course, I was a kid. I was a 19-year-old girl when, I, when I, we, we finally got together. I had my crush at 16. Mm, mm, mm. Well, we wow. were supposed to talk about you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have all kinds of questions here. Well, you know what we should do, though? We should play a song. Are you going to play today? Or, yeah. or Absolutely. Oh, yay. Oh, boy. Let's hear a song. All right. What would I like to hear? I'm going to say I would like to hear something from the messenger. How about, well, Total Disaster. Isn't that sort of a hit for you? A hit. That was the single. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yay. Woo. All right, here we go. One, two, three, four. Once it was lonely, I find the low road much more fun. I felt like I was running for office, now I'm always on the run. I pushed a boulder up over and over, I pulled a million dirty tricks. I put away enough Irish whiskey to fill the river sticks. Hey! I told you lies, oh, but you got wise. Truth is, I'm a disaster girl's name and the color of her eyes street name and the phase of the moon write them down in a beat up notebook set it to a catchy tune yeah. this is what I do to all of you the truth is I'm a total disaster Side. You've got to get that I've got flaws. You are free to leave any time. Lord knows I will give you calls. Yeah, you get to choose. Now you know the truth. The truth is I'm a total disaster. It's amazing how well you have been able to, I guess, through stage it. I mean, you, 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 you just realize there's an audience out there. I know it must be, was it difficult at first when you had to do, you know, the online gigs? It's still difficult, but what it is, it's kind of similar to what happens in real life where, uh, okay, say I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm at the new Antones, which is a really great little room for me to do solo gigs. It's tight, but it feels like an old school kind of honky-tonk bar. I'm in the upstairs dressing room, 
and I'm having to navigate my sister and my old best friend Robert or whomever's there. And then I walk yeah. down, I walk down the stairs and into the room, and it's sold out and it's crammed wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder people. And I go from like a quiet place talking to my little sister to mm. being in this loud space full of people and they're drinking. And 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 it, sometimes it like occurs to me like what what is this transaction is so awkward like they all got babysitters and they all drove here and they all paid for a ticket which was too much and they all paid for drinks that are expensive and and they're all like expecting me to do this thing and and it feels like I have to tell myself a story where I remind myself um for 30 years I've been writing songs I've written albums that have become part of these people's lives they are here because they like me they're here because they love my songs. They've made the choice to be here. They're they're prepared to enjoy what I'm about to do. So as much as in my brain, the negative voices in my brain are like, oh my God, what are you gonna, you can't make all these people happy. Are you crazy? Your songs are just these dumb little songs that you, whatever, the voices are nonstop. So I have to tell myself the story as I walk on stage the remind myself that I'm that I'm good enough and I'm smart enough or whatever. Um, so wow. that is that's the story of of my life and I think a lot of artists' life. It's a weird transaction, but even weirder still is being alone in my room. Maybe my dog Ziggy is asleep on the couch behind me, and I'm looking at a high def <laughs> camera perched atop a laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just have to remember that uh, through the Ethernet cable bouncing off a satellite landing in someone's hot tub where they're you know they've got their tablet <laughs> perched on the side of the hot tub whatever it is like yeah I'm, I'm with people like we are together i have to remember that this is a real thing and there's people there and they're excited and happy so it's a similar story that i have to tell myself but it's all there's a lot of internal dialogue that goes into real and virtual concerts you know, that is fantastic insight into a performer's experience. Um, you know, I would never imagine that that goes through your head, that, you know, this might not be good enough. But of course, it goes through my head before I get up and have to read or whatever. So it, I guess it goes through everyone's head unless they're a complete egomaniacal <laughs> lunatic, right? <laughs> That's a thing, too. I mean, you know, I think it's probably everyone. I think even about... Um, uh, I've heard you talk about Jim Morrison over the years and, you know, even Jim Morrison, like you wonder why was he such a terrible alcoholic? You know, maybe it's yeah. because he had to deal with those voices in his own head saying, you are yeah. acting like you're a God, but you're no, you're not a God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some people, the opposite of that would be Robert Plant, mm -hmm. where he took the whole thing and made real light of it and realized it was all the golden god thing was a joke you know so the, it just different people's attitudes i suppose but I, i'm surprised that you you worry about your words they're so incredible your, your words May, maybe that you know you, you did that podcast with people creatives right all kinds mm -hmm. of creative information did that help you when you spoke to all those people or giving you insight to those kinds of issues in your head you're the the devil and the angel you know it's been incredible Classic. i've i've two and a half years now into doing them and i recorded one today with ben schneider from lord huron in fact i spoke last week with john dinsmore from the doors wow cool 
I know. And his new book is really interesting. It's all about the the seekers, about different creative, inspirational people throughout his life. But yeah, you know what? I've never made a I've never made a penny off of the Wheels Off podcast interviews that I do, but I have gotten so much out of them. And maybe the main thing is just knowing that no matter how successful. Uh, someone is or how how easy they make it look because I think that's definitely a big thing these people who make it look so easy um yeah everybody deals with something you know in my very first interview I ever did was Roseanne Cash and Rose would sit there and tell me that she has always struggled with success syndrome the guilt that comes along with having success Mm -hmm. while other people that she looks up to haven't and you know imposter imposter syndrome like all these things that that try to keep us back, these internally generated obstacles. Yeah. That, that's yes. been the most fascinating part of it for me. Oh, bet. It seems like it. And, you know, we're always fighting our ego like we're in the ring with Muhammad Ali or something. It's a constant, mm. you know, <laughs> at least it is with me and everybody. I mean, we're, we're here to learn some type of lessons, you know, combating yeah. the egoic yeah. Yeah, you know? your e- your ego is not your friend, right? It's your no, mind no. Gets in the way of yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then sometimes I go, but why, Lord? You know, come on. I've got the guy tattooed on my back. Why do I, you know, he's supposed to have my back all the time. <laughs> Gee. Ugh. Well, anyway, I love the messenger. So I want to hear another song from there, if you don't mind. Of course. Um, could can I hear bittersweet? Oh yeah, let me dig out the the lyrics for that so I can make sure I don't screw it up. I love that. That's a tricky one. I don't end up playing that one live too much just because it's got Mm. such a, it's very moody, you know? And so usually when I'm doing a show, I'm trying to keep it kind of upbeat or whatever, but I do like, here, I'll switch to my 1964 Gibson um, National B25, so. swimming pool blue as the sky blacktop is smoking the earth's broken open we're so far away from goodbye goodbye is shimmering out on the horizon past all that shimmering heat we know it's coming there's no use in crying I might get bitter, but you'll always be sweet. Light falls on white walls in ladders, and we're all wrapped up in a book and way. Trusty old dusk, he approaches on crutches. Runs off what's left of the day. Goodbye is spoken, there's no more horizon. The sirens all sing on the street. The bottle is broken, the red flames are rising. I might get bitter, but you'll always be sweet. I'll fly over you and 
It's just so beautiful. All your words are so fantastic. Aw, thanks, Pamela. Very moved by you. You know that. Thank now you. Now tell me how you got the, how stage it started. 200 shows. How in the world does Erica deal oh. with that? You <laughs> must be busy all the time. I mean, you must be constantly working. Yes? Well, it's funny because, so each show is about an hour and a half's worth of work, a 30 minute sound check where I go in and log on and, um, make sure that everything's working. And then uh, the people all sign on and I and I go live right at, you know, like nine o'clock, tomorrow night I'll go live at nine o'clock Eastern for my Turn It Up Tuesday. Um, I'm in yeah. what's now the third season. Like I decided really early that I would do a thing where I, I did programming, like it was a TV station. So four times a week I have a show and then people know what to expect. So every Tuesday um, for a long time, it would be Time Machine Tuesday, and I would go back to a set list from um, you know, somewhere in the past. I'd say, I'm going to do the set for the old 97s did at the festival on this night in this town. Uh, or, or I'll say, I'll do this album in its entirety on the anniversary of its release. And with you know 20 albums now, there's always an yeah. anniversary. Um, mm -hmm. And then on Wednesdays, I would do late night shows for the West Coast Wednesdays. And then on Fridays, uh, for a while, I was doing Friday favorites. And I would have somebody make a set list. And I would say, you know, tonight's Nick Offerman's set list. I should have hit you up, Pamela. If I go back to that, maybe <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll, I'll get you to do one. And then, um, oh, and then Sunday is Sunday brunch. So four, show, four shows a week. I always know what they're going to be. The fans know what they're going to be. I've got a hardcore group that tunes in probably like 150 people that are kind of always there. And then there's another, mm. on any given night, there's another 150 people um, that oh, rotate fantastic. in and out. New people showing huh. up all the time. So really it's an hour and a half, four times a week, but you're talking about a life where I was gone half the time. And yeah. then I would be gone like for two weeks at a time. And then home sitting around. So now I'll have dinner and I'll go, oh, it's 8.30. I got to go down to soundcheck and I'll just run downstairs. Uh, uh. Hour and a half later, I'll walk upstairs. They'll still be sitting at the table and I'll be like, I just made some money and now let's watch Netflix or whatever we're going to do. <laughs> so there's a big uh -huh. upside. And my kids are now teenagers. So yeah, my daughter's 14 wow. and my son is 17. Yeah. And 
the fact that I've been able to be around for this part of their lives right before they go off into the world, I, you know how that is. It's, it's scary mm -hmm. and they go off and they fly away yeah. and then they're just like us, but, but you know, yeah. you remember when they were our babies. Oh, so it's actually worked for you. It's worked it, for you, pandemic been, in a way. Yeah, and I was um, a really early adopter to this. So when it was all starting la a year ago, you know, March and April, um, the Wall Street mm -hmm. Journal wrote a big article about me. The New York Times, like, oh, I was oh. suddenly the artist or one of a handful of artists that these journalists would call, and they'd say, um, you know, you've you've figured out how to make it work online. Tell everybody how it works. And I'm like, I don't know. The fact that I'm this 50 year old man at the time, I guess I was 49. But the fact that I've figured out how to do like an onboard server, desktop client and stream through this high def. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I can't believe that I've figured out it and made it work. But, you know, I've knock wood and I feel guilty in some ways because some people have had the worst year of their lives. It's actually yeah, been yeah. kind of a weirdly great year in some ways. Good, good. Well, I know you probably have enjoyed being home with your family and not having to go out there, but do you miss that at all? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. In, in fact, I did an interview about a month ago um, in advance of a show I did in real life at New York's City Winery. They opened up their mm -hmm. new um, space and, uh, and a year ago they should have had their grand opening, but it got pushed mm -hmm. back. And then New York right. City finally opened up on April 1st. And on April 2nd, I did what the New York Times re reporter told me. I did what was the first ticketed live music event in Manhattan after the pandemic, after things opened re after the pandemic. And um, yeah. it was terrifying. Did... Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> oh, it's on, yeah, the... it's filmed somewhere, right? You know, I don't think so. I don't think it's streamed. Oh. I think people grabbed little parts of it and put it on social media. Mm. Oh, okay. I did an okay. early show, late show. It was a 400 capacity room and they had a hundred people in it spaced out and safe right, and right, right. temperature checks. And they did it all really well, but um, it was weird. The, the early show, I was in my head the whole time. I was very, like, I couldn't figure out what, how do I, how was I supposed to do this? Like I've done this since I was 15 years old. But now it's been 14 yeah. months and I since I've done it and it just it didn't come back very naturally. But then the late show, again, I was a golden god. I just walked out on stage and I just <laughs> owned it. It felt so great. Yeah. So now you've got that first show over and now you'll always be the golden god out there. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, I've been to so many of your shows, you know. Anytime I could see you, I would go. I, you know, I love the old 97s and that must be thrilling because you get these gigantic audiences and they know all the words and it's a, you know, a, almost a mosh pit. And then, you know, then, then you have your solo stuff, which I actually prefer, you know, I hope everybody gets to see both of these things. Yeah, well, it's it is fun. It's I get to do the 97s long enough to get sick of those guys, you know, and then... <laughs> And then I go, I get to go do my solo records. Although this time around, we've, you know, put the new record out and we haven't played a single show. We're going to do uh, the beginning of June. We're going to do three outdoor safe shows oh. in tech in Texas and Texas. Okay, good, good. But they're weird. They're random places. It's not like Dallas and Austin. It's Cedar Creek outside of Austin and then the colony oh. outside of Dallas. But I guess it has to be that way to get the giant outdoor space and the safety protocols because we weren't going to do it. Yeah, probably. It was, yeah, it was really safe.
I think the last time I saw the old 97s was out in a really weird club at the beach. That was a big surprise gig. You couldn't announce it. You couldn't announce that you guys were playing for some other reason. You were playing somewhere else or something, but it was a tiny little space. And I got to be like sweated on and everything. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was, I remember it was a club that just closed down during the pandemic called St. Rock oh. in Hermosa beach. And it was a right, great right. room. My friend Adam Sprigg booked it. And it was because of Adam, we would always make a point to go there, even though it's kind of an off the beaten path room, but it was really fun. It was really great. I'm going to miss that place, like a lot of places. I know so many places have closed down. Yeah. Well, for all of the people out there who may not have heard you, those unlucky few, could you tell us a little, tiny bit about your, your just how you got into music, who you love, what, what inspired you, who inspired you to do what you do? Um, so I'm a seventh generation Texan. Um, my name is Stuart Ransom Miller II, but my mom refused uh, to let my dad jam you know, his name onto me when I was born without uh, agreeing to a nickname at birth. So from birth, I've been Rhett, named after Rhett Butler. And um, Perfect. And, yeah. And uh, so I grew up in Texas, in Dallas specifically, which is a very commercial kind of town. It's a business and oil and, you know, big hair and cowboy hats. And it's not uh, not the nurturing artistic community that, for instance, Austin is. Um, and it's a bigger city. But in a way, it might have been good to be there because even though it was a bigger city, there was a smaller pond in it. And I got to be a big fish in it starting um, around 16 years old, I was playing a lot. So I would open for the Lords of the New Church when they came through. Chris Isaac, before, right before Wicked oh. Game broke, I opened for Chris oh. in a club uh, called Club Clearview in front of like 150 people. And he was so great. And I was like a 16-year-old kid. And he was um, really generous to me in a way. You know, he's he's a very funny, nice guy. And, and, um, and he gave me a lot of advice right off the bat just that night. And I appreciated it and wound up doing stuff with him, you know, over the, the years since then. And he's always kind of been that way. Um, my biggest influences growing up, I was drawn to the Brits, you know, so um, Bowie wound up really speaking to me. Maybe it was because I, I was, yeah, I, I got, you know, I guess I was, I got tagged with um, the effeminate tag because I had long eyelashes and I was sensitive. And so I got beat up a lot and, you know, called a lot of names. Um, you know, the middle linebackers of the world didn't have much truck for what, what I was doing out there. But it was good in a way because it let me know like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to. I'm never going to win the middle linebacker game. You know, I'm, I'm going to go find um, a world that feels more loving and nurturing and supportive and collaborative. And so for me, the music world was that. I made a record in high school where I sang with, um, I affected a bit of a British accent because at the time, all I was listening to was David Bowie and Aztec Camera and the Beatles and this kind of alt indie, um, you know, 80s stuff. And then it got more REM and I kind of fell in love with um, the stuff that I had, 
ignored vehemently growing up the the country stuff i realized oh hank williams senior this is he writes perfect songs and so like a lot of rock and rollers i went backwards and fell in love with the country stuff later Mm. it's funny because i'm listening to that book on laurel canyon and um and all of your you know your old friends in the birds and the flying burritos and and you know there's a lot of rock and rollers who realize just how much we owe to country music and how mm-hmm. how perfect those songs are compared to some of the overwrought, you know, rock and roll stuff. Um, <laughs> and that's how I just kind of wound up. I went off to Sarah Lawrence for one semester on a full scholarship and then dropped out, realizing that I just wanted to do music and I didn't want a safety net. And I came back to Dallas and lived in absolute squalor until about 27 when we signed to Electra Records. And then I started to finally do pretty well. And then um, mm-hmm. and then the, the band really sort of clicked, you know, 19, around the time I met you, 90, 98 mm-hmm. or so. And, um, and ever since then, I've been able to make a, you know, a decent enough living. I, it's not like I have a savings or anything, but I am, I guess I probably am in like the top 1% of musicians who get to feed their kids and pay a mortgage. So thank God. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, you came up with that. I mean, you decided right away, okay, I'm gonna continue my music no matter what that's and not a lot of people followed suit of course but you know you were really early on that and that many times a week i don't think anyone else is doing it as often as you do oh yeah the online shows it's it's intense and i've wondered like is there going to be a time when it's just obvious that i should stop but honestly i feel <laughs> like it's something i'm going to do for the rest of my life because Every night I'm playing for people from Atlanta to Alaska to, right. you know, Denmark. And, and it's, yeah. it's, you couldn't do that, obviously, otherwise. And it's really easy. It's really easy. And it's, and there's a real connection that happens, uh, despite all of the technology inter, you know, interfacing yeah. Yeah. us. It, it's, it feels like, it still feels like a real connection, like a real show would, just without all the sweat. So you are going to continue it. You're going to continue these shows, even when you go out and, you know, are able to play live and all that. Yeah. I can't imagine probably doing them from the road. I mean, it'd be easy enough to do, but probably I'll take a week off, go on tour, come back. And then while I'm home, I'll just do shows again. I'm going to do my zoom classes too, even when it starts, because I've been having people from all over the country. One night a week, I get people from all girls all over the country. So I'm going to continue it too. So good things have actually come out of this. Interesting. The silver things linings. Yes, the silver linings. Aww. I think about it all the time, and I'm and I'm sure your Zoom classes are great. And the fact that people, because it's not easy for some people to leave their homes. I know that feeling. I know the feeling of sort of a, a you know agoraphobia or whatever. It's hard to go out into the world, and and especially if they're in a different you know, city, country, continent, they yeah. can come to, a, yeah. you know, Pamela Day Bar class and, and they can be with yeah. you. It's pretty cool. I, yeah. And, and yeah, I've, I've, I've come to enjoy it too. And I started pretty early on too, because I need to pay my bills too. <laughs> um, I also want to talk about your writing. You know, you've been doing a lot of creative writing. It's just so, I'm so impressed by it. I read some of the stuff online that I could actually get to. So were you like an English major or anything? I mean. Yeah, it's funny. So a lot of it's behind paywalls, but I, I, I love writing and my I dream. I've always dreamt of writing longer form fiction, but, mm. um, but it's, 
it's a very different discipline. You know, I've devoted my life to these things that last three minutes and yeah, they, yeah. I don't have to know what they mean and they just come out and maybe I can write them in a half an hour and then they exist and they're in the world. Um, I did go to Sarah Lawrence on a creative writing scholarship. Oh, and, okay. And, huh. But, you know, I kept thinking, I think it would be better for me to get real life experience um, in terms of making me a better writer than it would be for me to sit in this workshop and, and listen to a bunch of 19 year olds tell me what they think about my piece. And I, I felt, <laughs> I just felt like it would kind of was a waste of time. I've never, I never really liked being a student, which is kind of ironic because I think the way that I've always learned is by watching other people and seeing what they do and looking at their fingers and looking at their, like, I really love the mechanics of doing something, but I don't, I don't think I do well when someone else tells me that I have to do that. <laughs> you know, it has to be yeah. my idea. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. In my classes, I don't teach anything. I just allow people to express themselves and give them a safe place. Mm -hmm. There's no, yeah. So, yeah, I understand well, that. From what I've heard about your classes, it's, I mean, they're really like these really super fun workshops, right? And people write and they share and you tell stories. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, I think there's something about, especially memoir writing. Yeah, that's um, what we do. Yeah, that, that is so, it's such a specific um, discipline and it's really beautiful. And I, I've wondered about it because I have a, a really great literary agent, Jen Gates, and she um, she's encouraged me to write a memoir. And I don't really feel like my yeah. story is finished yet to the point where I'm ready to write a memoir. And I haven't ever been interested in it, but part of it is I feel like I've blacked out so much of my life, you know, like my childhood, there's, you know, there's just a lot of stuff where I was pretty unhappy and I just don't remember big chunks of years. And then I hmm. was drank so much and smoked so much weed starting right around 17, 18 years old, all the way up until about six years ago that um, I'm just like, well, I don't remember enough <laughs> to, to write a memoir. I know that's, that's rough. That is rough. I'm working with someone now. I, I can't say who, but memory I mean if someone asked me so what did you and Michael talk about in 1977 after that gig I mean who can remember that stuff I yeah. mean you really can't the only reason I could write my first two memoirs were because of the diaries yes a lot of journals and stuff I kept but can we go back would you mind talking about that depression I know you've talked about the fact that you wanted to off yourself as a such a youngster um, do you mind saying, talking about that and why that, what happened to, to keep you alive? Because I'm yeah. so glad it did. Thanks. Um, no, in fact, I just was, in the last couple of days, I've written a couple of different essays. I wrote an essay for the re-release of the old 97s album, Fight Songs. We did a, a remixed version of the album and there's an album of outtakes um, from the record as well. And so they asked me to write an essay and uh, to begin with, I was um, I wasn't excited about. I've never liked the the sort of writing that's like, well, we checked into the studio on this day, and they put you know an SM58 on the the bottom head of the snare drum, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I used a task whatever, like all those things. Like I don't care. I've never been good at the technical stuff, um, but I did finally just start thinking about 
where was I when I wrote this record and when we made this record and what was the experience for me just as a human being? Um, and so I wrote about the relationship that brought me to Los Angeles. Um, I moved for a, a, a Dallas girl who was a, um, a, an indie film producer and moved into a house in Beverly Hills with her and like nine other people. And it was a, it was a weird time. It wasn't a great relationship. It was, a, it was brutal in a lot of ways. And it, and it made for a really tricky time in my life. And those years, 28, 29, um, were really hard for me. And it was the first time in a bunch of years that I had kind of came back to that place where I was feeling really self-destructive. And I ended up reaching out to the psychiatrist that I had begun to see after my 14-year-old suicide attempt and that I saw throughout my teenage years, Dr. Humphreys, who was a really square guy in Dallas and talked like this doctor. He was a psychiatrist, you know, he was a prescribing physician, but he was, yeah. but I, and I remember seeing his daughter out at a punk rock club after I'd been seeing, you know, meeting with him for years. And she had a, a vertical column of straight up punk rock hair. And I was like, yay, Dr. Humphreys, your kid's a weirdo. And, um, <laughs> but so I, I went back to see him again during that time because it was the first time I'd really wrestled Again, with that, um, you know, the, the self-destructive impulses, the, the suicidal ideations, and uh, and it helped me a lot. And and the making of that album and and the the sort of the few months after it was released, and I was able to sort of take my life back over again. And I made a decision then that I wasn't gonna be unhappy. And I contributed in the relationship. I'm not blaming her, my ex-girlfriend at the time. It was very much you know two to tango situation. But um, but it did help me figure out like I need to be in a nurturing thing and I need to nurture myself and I need to stand up for myself. And these things that I've since really made a point to emphasize to my own kids, like I want you to self-advocate. I want you to love yourself and no one's ever mm -hmm. going to love you unless you love yourself. You've, you, correct. you know, it all stops yeah. with you and starts with you. And, and having them live through those years that I just barely survived, those teenage years, mm -hmm has yeah. been, um, it was, it's been scary, but oh, I'm so proud of them. And they're so great. And I think I've done a pretty good job of, you know, helping them through it. And, and so much of it's listening. I can't just sit here and tell them my stories yeah. because that's, you know, who cares? They didn't live through it. They're not going to learn from that. Well, I think it's so great that you're a good dad oh, on I don't top know of that. everything else. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, please give Erica my love too. I will. She said to say hi. She was excited that we were going to oh, talk yeah. today. Oh, goody, goody. Did, didn't you write the song Question About Her? That was a weirdly prescient thing where I had gone mm. on one date in New York City with um, this girl, Mary, really sweet girl from Dallas that uh, I don't think she would mind me characterizing it as such. When I lived in Dallas and worked at the front door of Torelli's restaurant, Mary was this model that everybody was in love with. And she would walk through and not give anybody the time of day. And I didn't know that she knew who I was, even though we were all just, you know, head over heels for Mary. And then I played a gig in New York City at this little club called The Fez. And I came up after the, the gig and she was sitting at the bar and she waved me over and she said, oh my God, I'm so excited to see you. And I'm like, me? Like looking around, like, I didn't think you knew who I was. But, um, huh. you know, Music, I guess, has some cachet. So, <laughs> yes, um, it does. 
Yeah. So Mary and I went out on a date and it was very sweet, but it was just that. And I was leaving to go on my first ever trip to, uh, I've been with the band, but um, I was going to go to Europe um, by myself. I'd never traveled. I'd never even taken a week off from gigging with the old 97s or solo since I was like 15. And so I went over to England where my sister was living in Wimbledon with her boyfriend attending the London School of Economics. Um, but the night before I left, uh, I was on the date with Mary and we were at her apartment and I, she, she said, oh, you're gonna love my roommate and pointed at a picture on the wall of this really beautiful girl. And I was like, well, that would be awkward. Um, so <laughs> the roommate came home and with her boyfriend who was like a six foot six French male model and just gorgeous and a chef and like, you know, the ultimate boyfriend, right? And, um, and they, they were both very nice. And she said, well, I'm gonna be over in England next week. And I was like, I'm gonna be in England. I'm doing a gig in Soho. Aww. So so she came to my gig in Soho. We hung out for a week before her boyfriend showed up to, to join her, but it was all platonic. But during that week, we spent a day with a couple in London, really sweet couple, and they just gotten engaged. And they told me their story. And that night I went back to Wimbledon um, and I wrote, this really little throw, what I thought was a really throwaway little ditty. This Aww. song that was just about, you know, she woke from a dream, she's in a bad mood. He's like, this is my only day I've got off from work and I've got the ring. And um, and so it's, it, I thought it was just me, you know, writing another little thing that I was gonna throw away. It was like two minutes long and it's wound up being the song that's sort of the most, used, maybe the most beloved, certainly the most um, utilized in film and television and in people's mm -hmm. lives. It's become an incredibly useful, which I think is a great word for uh, anything you can create. It's the ultimate thing it can mm -hmm. be as useful. It's become an incredibly useful song as people use it in their weddings, in their proposals, in their uh, romantic relationships. And it's really sweet, but I wrote it before I realized that I had been hanging out that day with a girl that I would later marry, have two kids with. <laughs> That's my an incredible life. story. It's very sweet. Can we hear that song? I'd be honored. You know, what's oh, funny boy. is when I, when I later proposed to her, this song was not a part of the proposal at all, which is kind of funny because now people tell me all the time how I learned to play your song question so I could use it as a proposal. Yeah. All right, here's the question. from a dream and her head was on fire why was he so nervous he took her to the park she crossed her arms and lowered her eyelids someday somebody's gonna ask you question that you should say yes to once in your life maybe tonight i've got a question for you she'd had no idea she started to cry she said in a good way, he 
took her by the hand and he walked her back home. They took the long way. Someday somebody's gonna ask you the question that you should say yes to once in your life. Maybe tonight I've got a question for you. Once in your life, maybe tonight I've got a question for you. I've got a question for you. Makes me cry every time. (laughs) Jerry has tears in his eyes. That song really works, Rhett. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's oh funny. I've been doing some workshops myself and songwriting, and that song will come up. And I've wondered, why does it work? And I think a big part of it was that I didn't try to calculate a song that would make me money or get in TV shows or people have, I'm not, I'm going to make a song and everybody's going to use it in their wedding. I just, yeah, yeah. I just was inspired by a sweet thing I'd seen. And I wanted to do justice to, you know, this little story that these people lived through. And I think when you calculate something, it will always smack of desperation. People will feel manipulated by the thing you've made. But if the thing you've made really comes from a place of wanting to put something in the world that's genuine and feels honest, then that thing will probably connect in a way that it never would if you tried to tried to figure out how to get people, you know? Right, right. Well, it's a beauty. Thanks. <sighs> Where do you feel like you sit in like the pantheon? Are you comfortable (laughs) with where you're sitting in the pantheon of music? Mm, That's a funny question because I've always been really hungry. I've always wanted to prove myself. Um, I've always wanted more you know, in, in, in a way that doesn't feel, it's funny, I just finished saying that I don't want to calculate ways to, you know, <laughs> succeed. But, um, but, I have, but I have always wanted to um, improve upon what I've done in the past. I've always wanted to be better at what I do. I've always wanted to reach more people with every record. I've always hoped for a moment when a song would click in a way that no previous song had clicked. You know, I've always... I've always wanted to, to, um, you know, have a bigger audience than I than I have. Uh, that said, it's easy to get caught up in feeling um, disgruntled. Why have I never been nominated for a Grammy? What an outrage! But yes. at the same time, you know, yes. I look at my career and I think I love what I've done. I love who I am. I've got 20 albums and I don't think any of them are clunkers. You know, um, (laughs) I don't feel like there's anything I've ever done that I've been embarrassed of. I don't think I've ever, there are certainly times when I could have tried to figure out a way to um, make it click. You know, the Electra Records tried really hard to convince me to, they were like, okay, look at Jack Johnson. All right, look at at the time your la- my label mate. Uh, well, I, you know what? I probably shouldn't even say his name anyway. A guy who's like a real, 
like hippy dippy happy singing love songs everybody likes your little bitty songs and you know just these kind of really lightweight uh party songs that just felt fake to me and and i probably could have figured out a way to do something you know but then again everything i'm saying right now goes against what i just said if i had tried to lie then it would have smacked of the desperation that drives people away so all of that said i love the life i'm living i wouldn't change anything but i do hope that whatever the next record i make uh gets nominated for six grammys <laughs> i love it i love it and it, and you deserve every grammy in the world for god's sake <laughs> Thanks. And tell me more about your your uh, your teaching. Aren't you teaching writing uh, songwriting workshops? Yeah, I've been doing um, some stuff through the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, and then I'm trying to put together a songwriting retreat, which I think would be really great. Ooh. You know, I have friends that okay. do these, and I think they're really cool. Um, the logistics of, as you know, doing your workshops, anything that involves people what was it sartre um <laughs> hell is other people so once you start trying to get hotel rooms and meals for all these other people as well what a nightmare yeah. but um so yeah i've been doing them online i'm hoping to at some point do them in person i just love it i love writing songs i love the craft of songwriting i love the idea of bringing something into the world that's why i call them songwriting is magic because you, when you sit down, there is nothing. And when you stand up an hour later, yeah. there's a song, you know, and maybe this song will save someone's life. Maybe this song will bring them together with, um, you know, their, their lover. And maybe this song will, you know, help somebody get over a really difficult moment. These songs that have utility in real life situations um, and they come from somewhere. And that somewhere is this weird marriage of, intention and the inexplicable, right? Like I'm gonna write a song. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I'm gonna put myself in a position to get it into the world. And I think there's a way you can help people figure out how to do that. And I think people have that in them more than they imagine. Like there used to be a time um, that, I mean, I, you know, the, the, the time when rock and roll carried such mystique that these people really were believed to, to be superhuman but they weren't, you know, better than anybody. These were just human beings that put their, you know, boots on one at a time. And, you know, they wrote songs just by sitting down with a guitar or a friend with a piano or whatever. And then a song happened. It's faith. It's just faith, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's believing something. in yourself. It's believing in, yeah. it's believing can, in the, yeah. Good can come. It's faith. It's, it's opening yourself up to the universe and just saying, fuck it. You know, yeah. you just take that risk. So that's great that you can help people do that. You're so wonderful. Thanks. I'm you so too, glad Ms. we're Pamela. friends. Me too. Oh, oh my God. Well, I'm going to, we're out of time just about, but I would love to hear a final song from you. Could we hear our love? Yes, absolutely. I, it's funny, during that same trip to Europe, I went off um, to the continent and I found myself in Prague and I went to the um, opera house there in Prague and saw a production of Tristan und Isolde, uh, the opera which uh, by Richard Wagner. And I didn't realize it was six hours long. <laughs> yeah. So during, oh, boy. 
during the intermissions, I wrote lyrics that eventually became, I was reading the, oh. um, I was reading a, a t two things at that time, a biography of Richard Wagner, who it turns out is an asshole. And um, I was reading Franz Kafka's letters to his lover, Milena. So I, um, all of that somehow turned into this song, which is I think the opening track on um, my album, The Instigator, so. Richard Wagner's letters to his lover, Matilda, were a mess. He should have quit before he had written the address. Yeah, they made love on the mezzanine. Her husband was his friend. Vienna in a fugue, stay working on a thing that when he finished, it took almost seven hours to say. Oh, well, he still found time to write to her his heart exploding words. Our love surpassed, our love so fast, our love. was his friend. She's a living fire. She's a reason to live. Killing me, burning only for him. When I spend my whole life loving her, my heart exploding words. Our love surpassed. Our love so fast. Our love's all wrong. Our love goes on and on. Our love became our love by to you in a song our love goes on and on our love my butt off <laughs> oh my god that was so great red thank you yeah thank you for thanks hanging for having out with me. me yes thank you for hanging out with me for an hour i really appreciate it and i loved seeing you my god well it's in great person, to see you soon. i hope in real life soon irl yes. soon yes <laughs> thanks pamela take care of yourself Miller guys, Rhett Miller. We're both Virgos. 
we actually both have the last name Miller, but I chose Debar because it's a prettier last name. But how great was Rhett? He's so thrilling. Please listen to his music. Please download all his stuff. Go buy his records, his vinyl. Support Rhett. He has been so active during the pandemic and you know we need to give him love. And please, is he great or what? And thank you for listening. I'm Pamela Debar, the world's most famous groupie. In case you don't know, groupie's a music lover. That's all. Someone wants to get near the music like I often did. So please tune in next time. You've been listening to Pamela Debar's Pajama Party. Produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela Debar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts. Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.